Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, on this episode of Mountain and Marsh, Dakota Bittner calls in. He's actually driving to an offshore tournament in this recording. Um, Dakota was a charter fisherman for three years um, and hit it hard. And he and his dad, they also fish a lot uh, themselves privately and they do tournaments and he, he's on these boats for tournaments. So Dakota is a wealth of knowledge in the saltwater game, offshore and inshore. Um, there's a ton of nuggets in here about this stuff. Tuna fishing, sword fishing, marlin fishing, as well as wreck fishing for flounder. A uh, bunch of cool information in here. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. Be sure to check out Rumble Fish Bait Company. They're out of Ocean City. He gives them a shout out at the end of this podcast. Uh, new company, up and coming company. Check those guys out local here to Maryland, making great custom saltwater baits. Hey guys, everybody who knows knows that I have been running a swamp stick extendable pole all year this year. Um, from running my spinning wing decoys at five feet tall to uh, hanging my gear, my gun, my blind bag. Um, the accessories I use, like my cell phone grip for manipulating the uh, the cell phone and getting some film, um, using it as a walking pole, I mean, using it to hang blind mesh on banks. Um, I've used this thing a bunch this year. I've had a blast trying to uh, figure everything out. And man, I would not go back now. I love it. I've even used it deer hunting with my bow. I've hung my bow from it in standing cornfields and sat on a bucket and hunted that way too. So look guys, if you would like one of these, or if you want to figure them out, if you want to see if it's something you'd like, check out my YouTube page, look up swamp stick. I got uh, a review on there and, um, I really love it guys. Use code M a M P 10 at checkout, get 10% off these things are cheap compared to the competitors. Uh, great product, man. Really great product, and I love it. I thank Sean for reaching out and uh, and getting me one of those because it has been a game changer for me this year. Uh, guys, again, MAMP10 at checkout. Get you 10% off. Thanks. Hey everybody, Mike here. I'm here with Dakota Bittner. Uh, Dakota, uh, tell everybody uh, where you're from and and what you do and why you're on the podcast today. Uh, so I'm Dakota Bittner, and I'm from Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, I'm originally from Frederick, Maryland, over on the western shore. They uh, they call those guys chicken neckers now because everyone down here doesn't use chicken necks for crabbing, but everyone calls me a chicken necker. But um. I live in Ocean City full time now and been down here for ooh, probably eight years now. Fishing, charter fishing, you know, fun fishing regularly. And um, so, yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of offshore, uh, starting to get into a lot more inshore fishing around here and trying to figure all that stuff out. So, yeah. All right, so before we jump into any of the main topic stuff, um, wh where uh, did you get your out 
your love for the outdoors like what is your outdoor background is that your father your grandfather is that an uncle like where does that all come from um so my my entire family has always hunt fish outdoor stuff um i mean from when i can remember i i was three years old casting a spinning rod at our farm pond catching bass and sunfish and you know stuff like that my grandfather on my mother's side actually he used to take me every chance that i got to go fishing or do something outdoors whether it was pointing beer cans or soda cans with a 22 uh you know going and hunting groundhogs around the family farm or bass fishing when i could you know little odds and ends like that um, my dad definitely played a big role in that also. He was definitely working very, very hard growing up. But every little moment that he got to take me fishing or hunting, and that, you know, we were all about it. Um, you know, my mom also, she was a big supporter. Um, actually, I, I shot my first year with a bow with my mom. Her and I were in a tree stand behind our house. Um, so my, my entire family has been supporting and, you know, showing me the ropes of, of hunting and fishing and everything else. And then I would say around, I mean, I've been coming to Ocean City since I was a little kid. My grandparents had a house here and we were always fishing the bay. Um, you know, it was flounder and striper for the longest time while I was a little kid. And then I, I want to say when I was seven. My dad finally, like, got to the point where he was comfortable enough, and we bought a 23-foot sailfish and the cheapest Bass Pro um, offshore, you know, angling stuff that we could get kind of deal just to make sure that it was for him, you know. Um, I didn't have any clue at this point of what I was doing. Um, so, but, you know, he... He definitely got started in the offshore stuff. My first, my first trips were with him, um, and my dad had he had been offshore a bunch, um, you know, in years past before I was born and stuff like that. So he had kind of an idea, and you know, as I was growing up, he wanted to get me into the sport so that we could enjoy it together. And you know, and we're we're still fishing you know i'm like i said i'm heading right now to, to go fish the big rock with him so him and i have done this since i can remember you know yeah i think a lot of people get their start that way um it's surprising to me when i see people who get into it uh as the first person in their family to do it because all i've ever known is the same thing it's everybody in the family does it we all do it we all hunt fish yeah, you know, it's it's just like part of life. So people who take on the responsibility of teaching themselves now, there's a lot of people doing that after like throughout COVID and after COVID, it's kind of like eye opening. You see people who didn't grow up with it trying to be the first person in their family to do it. It's pretty wild. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I know a couple people like that. Um, you know, I've tried to try to help them in every way possible, just because. You know, it's definitely not not only a fun sport, but it's also realistically, if you look at it, it's a life skill that everybody should know is hunting and gathering, you know? I mean, you look back as, as far as you can, you know, go in history, hunting and gathering was a very, very important skill for the, the life of everybody, realistically, you know? Not, not, many, not many people before us had grocery stores to run to on the weekend and get everything you need so it's just it's just something that i feel a lot of people should learn should know and you know whether you're avid every you know three times a week don't you know or if you're just going out to your you know local pond and catching stock trout or or you know catching spot off the dock down here just every you know anything i, I feel that it's very very important for a lot of people to learn and, and figure out at least the basics of so 
Yeah, and fi- fishing is uh, fishing's a really easy one for people to get into in comparison to taking the life of a bipedal animal or, uh, you know, trying to use a bow. If you've never shot a bow, it's a, that's a huge undertaking, but you can go to Walmart, go to the back wall in the sporting section. And for 25 bucks, you can get a little tiger spin from Shakespeare and you can catch fish pretty much anywhere other than offshore and inshore saltwater fishing. But, uh, yeah, so what I want to get into that a little bit. Um, and that's more of a specialty thing. Like my father has a 23 foot center console and he goes out of a Chincoteague. He doesn't go real far, at least not yet, but, um, he does a lot of wreck fishing and, and goes over to the bay and things like that out of Crisfield. Um, and so I kind of know that world, but I don't know it like someone like you would know it. Um, so, so what, um, what led up to you being a charter fisherman when you, you know, you told me before that you were in the past. So what led up to that? Um, so like I said, when I was seven, I went offshore with my dad for the first time and we went out kind of early in the season when back when the bluefin fishing inshore was good and, you know, the scouts were there and everything. And a uh, guy we actually met at the fuel dock was like, dude, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll go with you guys. Like, they're, they're hammering them right now. I can guarantee you we're going to catch one. And, you know, at seven years old, hearing guarantee, I was like, oh, this is great, you know. Um, and so we, you know, obviously did our research, picked our weather window and everything and went with this guy. And I'll never, ever forget it. It was, you know, crack of dawn type deal just getting out there and and my dad he you know he was he was all about me and learning this and everything and he's like which which lore do you want to put out what do you want to put out and i'll never forget it it was a jet head that was chrome and had mylar skirt on it and it was from bass pro um i don't even think they make them anymore but i was like ah, that one that one we need to put that one out and i'm not kidding you it was maybe 10 minutes into fishing after putting stuff out that floor got annihilated and instantly right then and there i was hooked you know at, at seven years old you know all this going up leading up to this and picking the lure and this and that and everything and wondering what this even was and then just hearing the drag start screaming i was like oh this great this is awesome you know and then and then we caught our first tuna fish you know together with my father and i and and this other guy it was just uh, i mean that is a memory i will never ever forget um you know so that instantly had me hooked and then from there i don't think i ever missed an offshore trip with my father from there on out until you know i able to drive i would say once i turned 16 i started living at the beach for the summer with my grandmother um and i knew a couple people and i got in with some people and um one of my first jobs was actually on a private boat um just kind of a weekend warrior nothing really crazy serious private boat and um you know so i got a little taste of of what it was to be on a big charter boat, not a charter boat, but a bigger boat, you know, it was a, it was a 46 Warren O'Neill, it was an old boat, but, you know, and from there, then I was able to meet people at the marina and, you know, go fishing more often because the boat that I worked for, I mean, I don't want to say fortunately, but they didn't fish as much as everyone else so i was able to kind of freelance and jump here to here and just help people and i can't tell you how many times i went fishing for free just to go fishing and try and learn everything you know what i'm saying um and it just got more and more i just got so hooked into it i'm like this is great i i you know it was like i don't want to say it was like a drug but it was just such a adrenaline rush when you're catching fish and you know trying to figure things out of hey how can i 
better myself and better everything to catch more fish. And it was just so addicting to me to try and figure that stuff out. And even now, it, it still is addicting to me to just better myself and figure things out on, you know, trying to catch a new species or trying to catch a better fish, you know, a bigger fish or something. Um, but back to the charter fishing thing, I, I just kept fishing and fishing and fishing with different people and, and slowly over time you get a name out there for yourself and, and, you know, people are like, Oh, Hey, this guy can jump on with you. Um, so then after that, I got on a semi private charter boat. Um, and it was a 65 gun So I went from the smallest boat in the Marina to the biggest boat in the Marina. And I was like, wow, this is great. You know? Um, and, just I, I the people I fished with were great people. They were awesome. And at that point we were fishing more frequently, so I was catching more fish and you know, it was just it was great. You know, you get back to the dock and everyone's like, Oh man, they got a bunch of tuna, you know. It just it, it just leads on more and more and more. So needless to say then that gentleman it's actually the, the gentleman that I fish for now sold that boat um and then i ended up finding a job on the marley out of ocean city um some people may know mark on the marley um he is the top tuna captain top tuna boat i i mean it was like 14 years in a row um so i was stoked to get on there that that was like a dream job almost you know um and then i charter fish with them for, for three years every single day you know and and that would that would be a wake up at three in the morning be at the boat get everything ready and fish all day and get home at you know by the time you got done cleaned up and, and everything say seven o'clock seven thirty by the time you got home in the evening so but um you know and we were just crushing it we we went and it, it was just, it's so, such a good feeling, I want to say, of being out there and being on the water and just being able, you know, that that's, that was definitely one of the top charter boats to be on at that time. And, and I was just loving every second of it, you know? Yeah, that lifestyle is rough. Uh, when you... And I've, I've only gone, we've only gone out chartering a couple times offshore, but, um, it's like you, you get up, we're hunters as well. And we all have jobs. We wake up very early. So it was, it's not like it's hard for us to get up early, but that type of lifestyle, um, from getting up in the morning, you know, very early in the morning, getting to the boat, getting everything prepped, getting clientele on the boat, getting out there, you know, hour and a half ride or two hour ride or, and then getting all the way out there, getting, getting set up. If the chop is bad, you're dealing with the swell and just all day long, your muscles, your body, and then you get back late. You got to clean up. You got to get ready for the next day. It's uh that, that lifestyle is, it's uh, it it takes such a strong will to to live that lifestyle. Oh yeah, absolutely. You definitely want to have to do it. Um, I at the time when I full time was charter fishing, I didn't have a girlfriend, didn't have a relationship, like nothing. It was seven days a week. I was up at three o'clock in the morning and gone all day. No cell phone service. You know nothing. Um, so obviously no one wanted to deal with that. You know, some people think that they have rough not being able to talk to somebody while they're at their nine to five job. And you know what I'm saying? Like it, it was a, a very rough life. Um, and not, I don't want to say rough because it was great, but it was definitely a lot of stress on the body and everything of, of just the, the hours and whatnot. Um, so realistically how my day went was I'd be up at three I would jump out of bed, brush my teeth, you know, get ready for the day quick, jump in the truck, and I'm heading to the marina. Um, 
And I was there before, uh, you know, I was there an hour before the captain even got there, hour and a half before the clients even got there. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that people don't see um, with, you know, prepping lines and, and baits and everything. And just when I worked with Mark, he was like, look, man, this is how it's going to be. The, the tackle and tackle failure is something that we can control. He's like sharks eating the fish or the client not reeling and losing fish, stuff like that. He's like, we can't control that. He's like, everything that we can control, I don't want to happen. I'm like, you know, so I figured that out real quick. I mean, just stored in my brain is like, hey, this is how it needs to be done. This is the right way, you know. Um, so every morning, I mean, I was checking leaders, checking hooks, sharpening hooks, you know, just everything, you know. A lot of people don't realize all that work, so that, that was the hour and a half before the clients even got there. Um, you know, shuffling ice in the morning, making sure you got drinks, everything. Because, you, you know, you run two and a half hours and you got people paying three, $4,000 for a charter all day. You get out there and you ain't got bait or you don't have enough drinks or something. Like, that's terrible looking on you, you know? Because that was your job as the mate, you know? Make sure all that stuff is all your, you know, T's are crossed and your I's are dotted and and just having all that prep. So then, you know, 4.30 rolls around and we're leaving the dock. Um, I would I would make sure Cap was good, made sure he got it out of the inlet and everything, which, I mean, he never, ever had any issues, but it was just something that, you know, I always felt that I was, you know, should be there and make sure that everything's smooth sailing before I go down and, and try and get a nap on the ride out, you know? Um, and everybody does it different. Maybe everybody rigs their baits on the way out, you know, this and that. I always rig my baits on the way in the night before. So that way that was done. So we would get out there, we'd fish all day, and then, you know, pack it up for the day. And on the ride in, the work, the work was just starting all over of cleaning rods and and getting prepped for the next day, you know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh yeah, I'll get it tomorrow. We're we're not fishing tomorrow. I'll get it tomorrow. No, it was it was every day, you know. So I had the system, and then you get back to the dock, and and just more work starts of cleaning the whole boat, getting the fish up, getting pictures, you know, with all that stuff. So it, it's definitely a strainful, stressful day. Of you know, some days it was. It was tough keeping your eyes open when it was slow, slow fishing. Um, if it were me, I, I would rather be crushing it all day, you know, catching fish. <laughs> Those days flew by way faster than slow days, you know. You just sit there and you think, oh, man, we're not catching any fish. I don't have to do much work. But whew, they, were the, they were the long days there. Yeah, I um, uh, I think actually we went out last year and we didn't catch. We caught one like five foot mako and a bunch of towel fish just to put meat in the cooler, but uh, super slow for everybody that day. And uh, we trolled all day, and it was like everybody, the captain, the mate, us, we're all just sitting there like jesus because <laughs> it's it you know even even if you're the you aren't actually doing the work you're just the client and it's a slow day it you're out there in the middle of nowhere it's just you're just oh, yeah. staring at whales and ships all day long that's it yep exactly and, and you never know you know i mean it, you might have crushed it. I, I had gone plenty of days for the day before same spot same same everything and the day before not catch anything and then the next day you absolutely slam them and then you know vice versa i've gone three days in a row killing a limit and back by noon and then you you um you know you go the next day and you're like oh yeah this is gonna be an easy day we're gonna be back i'm gonna be eating burgers at sunset you know and then you don't catch any fish you're like uh-oh what happened you know so. Yeah, that's actually the exact thing that happened. We went out, didn't catch anything. I think one guy caught one. I don't know. He might have been a half mile from us or something. He caught one tuna, and we're like, "All right." And then we had this hope for hours, and we never caught anything. And then uh, 
it, the next day it rained and they cleaned them up. Like caught caught so many fish. Like the boat just stacked with fish. And I'm like, oh my god! Like how how does it work like that? God. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's just that one variable changed. I mean, you know, whether it's the barometric pressure or too many boats out there driving them down. Um, you know, the rain. Maybe the rain was breaking the surface tension. You know, because it's if it was a slick, calm day, and, and I've never, ever really set the world on fire on a slick, calm day. So, you know, maybe that rain broke the surface tension and broke up the outline of the base a little bit or or the fluorocarbon leader, you know what I'm saying? And and that made them bite, you know? Just just because the fish are there doesn't mean that they're going to bite. Um, and also, just because you're not getting bites doesn't mean that the fish aren't there, realistically. So, um there's, there's a lot of variables to it, you know? A lot of stuff that people overlook. They're just like, ah, they're not biting my lures. Well, it, it might be more than just your lures, you know what I'm saying? It yeah, yeah. Be, it, it can, there's a lot of stuff to go into that. Yeah, fishing's hard. because So, like, I am, I my entire life, first and foremost, I've always been a hunter and a fisherman, but as I got older and I lost I lost free time uh, with careers, with businesses, uh, with this, you know, the podcast and the brand and the and the, my kids and my wife. You know, as I lose time over time uh, and life develops, um, I've just found myself saving my brownie points and my days off for as much duck hunting as I could do, and you know, in the winter time. But you know, with fishing at least with ducks and deer and turkeys and you know upland you can put visibly put your eyes on something you can scout you can listen you can you know learn from the landscape when it comes to fishing it's it's not as easy as use a pair of binos and look at something the day before and go that's where we need to be like you can't you just can't do that you're not so I mean, it's like uh, you're you're doing more guessing and like testing like during the day than when I go duck hunting on and on a Friday evening I go glass find kill next morning. It's not that easy, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot that comes to it. I mean, you can look at sea surface temperatures and water clarity and this and that and different factors and everything, but. Yeah, like you said, you can't, I mean, you got the sonar to look at every once, you know, maybe you'll run over a batch of fish, but realistically, it, a lot of people don't realize this, but the sonar out of your boat is only like a 15 degree beam coming out of the bottom of your boat, you know? So you, you could drive 30 feet away from a school of tuna or, or, you know, white marlin or anything and never even know they're there without this you know, modern technology of, of these omni sonars and stuff like that, which is a whole different story. But, you know, just looking straight down at that little beam, it, it's like, you know, you, you can't, uh, yeah, you, you can't throw a pair of binoculars up and go, oh, they're over there. We need to be over there. Big ocean, man, you know. So there's, there's a couple little things that you can look at and, like, try and get dialed in on but it's it's tough but you know and fortunately for us charter fishing every day once we found the fish we could stay on the fish you know what i'm saying but um but true for the weekend warrior just to you know and facebook and this and that has really changed all that but you know before everything blew up on facebook and everybody tells everybody on everything it's you know if you were just running out there like like me, for me growing up i mean it was literally what you heard at the gas dock and and saw you know what i'm saying it's like oh well we'll go there tomorrow it, it wasn't you know and when we were beginning we didn't have the sea surface temperatures and all that stuff like we were just kind of throwing a needle at the at the or a dart at the map and yeah let's go try there and then when it would work for us, we're like, okay, well, let's try that again. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like 
at that point, it's kind of like bass fishing your farm pond of, of, hey, they bit this lure last time. I should probably throw that again, you know, it, it, and that's what it comes to. But for for the most part, though, you're not running out, and it's not like everyone sees on on TV and this and that, and, oh, oh I'll find the birds, and, and then we'll birds and this and that. that. That don't happen in Ocean City very often. I mean, I charter fishing for three years straight every day, I saw that happen maybe a handful of times and, and we catch fish, you know? But it, it, it's tough because, one, you don't know where the fish are underneath of you. You don't know where they're going to be, realistically, unless you, you know, have talked to somebody that's fished and can study a lot of the sea surface temperatures and different stuff like that. You know, so you're kind of just going out there blind and hoping you run into something. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, that's that's what makes I like to do things. Well, hold on. With everything I do, I like to try to control the variables. Every variable, just like the captain you were to just just talking about, Mark, saying that everything you can control, you want to control, and that's how I am. I'm very meticulous about my organization and my setups when I'm hunting. It uh, doesn't matter if it's deer, turkeys, or ducks. Like I have everything set up and I want to make sure I do the best that I possibly can. Well, when it comes to fishing, especially because my myself, my dad, uh, my dad a lot more than me, but um, just weekend warriors, you know, he might go out of Shinkatig there and hit a wreck and just go do it and not have talked to anybody and there be hardly any fish there and just not knowing because that's what you have to tell. And then your, your lures and what lures are working better than others and what colors are really hitting today with the sun and the, and yada, 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 and on and on and on. Like there's so many variables that once you put that, that hook in the water, that line in the water, it is so hard to guesstimate until you, unless you have days to spend testing and different different styles and and things like that you, you can't really you can't just go out there and pinpoint something and that's what I love doing it but that's what drives me nuts about it is I can't like put my thumb on that variable and squeeze like I don't I'm not knowing what I'm doing until I get out there and start winging it you know yeah oh yeah absolutely and and with me doing it so much um, you know, I've come, I, I have come to figure out like a few things that like, I definitely, there's a couple of lures that I absolutely will always have in my spread if I'm tuna fishing, um, you know, certain things like that. But, you know, one day, you know, we'll run over a school of fish and you can look over the side of the boat. I, I'll never forget it. My dad and I were fishing. We looked over the side of the boat and there was a school of yellowfin tuna that, I mean, one of those slick calm days, it, it had to be a couple acres. That's how big this school of fish was up on the surface. Not eating, not doing anything, just cruising the surface. It was just a big, dark blob. It looked like a shadow from the cloud. Um, and, you know, we run through them, and, and they just wouldn't eat anything. And everything you threw at them, you know, and it's like, that's when it gets frustrating. You're like, uh... Now what? You know, it's it's it's. But then again, also that's the bug that gets in you. Of, man, what 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 can I do next time to make them bite? What you know? And that's what really hooks people with that. Um, but yeah, I mean the 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 um coming back to like making sure everything's correct. You know, I like I go out there and. Kind of like another story here is um, we got into sword fishing, I don't know, a couple years back, a few years back. Kind of one of the first people to do it in Ocean City. Not the first, but a few of the first people to do it in Ocean City. And I'll never forget, I mean, my we're, we're definitely not like falling and like can go and buy whatever and this and that, you know, so... My dad wanted to do it so bad, we went and bought a Shimano Beastmaster, and we went, and we were fishing, and, you know, 
we we went cheap to start and we hooked the fish of a lifetime. I mean, we fought it for five and a half hours and just, and then burn up the reel. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so we didn't have all our stuff right. We cheaped out, you know, stuff like that that you can manage. And, and I know everybody can't go on a fort, you know, the best of the best. But if you're going out there, you got to, you know, you're spending this much in fuel, that much time, this, that, everything. You want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward. Um, and, you know, Mark, Captain Mark taught me a lot about that of, making sure all your crimps are right and everything because you might have one shot at one fish that day and that might be the make or break of your charter or your day is that one fish and if you you know if you don't you get lazy and don't fix your crimp or don't redo your crimp or check make sure there's no chase or anything and pow there goes that fish well there goes your day that you know that that's your 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 tip just went from, you know, this to that because something that you could have controlled went down the drain, you know what I'm saying? And so that that was very etched in my brain to make sure that everything I could possibly make sure was correct was correct. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so I know you got, you're heading down right now to North Carolina for this tournament. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the private fishing, uh, that you and your father do now, I know that's kind of more of your, uh, what you guys are, are doing now and then you're out of the charter game. And so just off the top, like if you guys are going out in this, I know it's all dependent on timing and temperatures and things, but throughout the year, what's your favorite, uh, species to target throughout the year? Oh man, it all depends. I mean, if, if we're if we're inshore wreck fishing, definitely flounders. I that is probably the top number one fish that I will fish for offshore and absolutely love catching is those deep water wreck flounders. Um, but more so offshore, oh man, I I just I really really love sword fishing, and I don't know what it is about it or if it's the bug that hey, man, that one got away. I need to figure out what's going on here and why I'm not keeping these fish on or something. Um, That's just, that that just does it for me, man. I I absolutely love sword fishing. Um, Tuna, I I love tuna fishing, don't get me wrong, but I think after three years of strictly tuna fishing, and that's all I did, I kind of got burned out of it. Um, You know, on the, on the Marley, we then, you know, I, I, we kill 400 and some tuna fish a year. So I'm kind of, I've kind of not seen it all. I don't want to say because you never know what you're going to see out there, but it, it was so repetitive and turned into such a job that I'm like, man, I don't want to kill another tuna fish for a little while. Um, don't get me wrong. You, you slam some big eyes or something or a big elephant and, and leading that fish up and sticking it with a gas definitely gets you excited still but for me i've just done so much of it that i prefer other things um another thing that that is an absolute blast is bailing the mahis around the lobster balls or off grass line and you know my family absolutely loves doing that my mom she uh you know that's probably one of her favorite things is going to catch a bailing mahi and um you know but then again, for me, I, I think on the Marley, I, you know, we went like 26 days straight of killing a limit of 60 mahi every day, charter fishing. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't need to do that, you know. So those two things are absolutely a blast. Um, but I guess I just did so much of it, I kind of got burned out. So now I've kind of shifted definitely for the swordfish. Um, that That's just you know, I've spent a lot of money and gear and, and baits and trying to figure stuff out for that. But then also marlin fishing, you know, um, it's just sometimes you'll have a marlin come up and it's just head, dorsal fin, and then you got the long bill sticking out of the water trying to eat your bait. And it's just awesome. They go jumping. And it's, I mean, that's, that's adrenaline right there. That'll get you fired up. And then, you know, you take a white marlin and you throw two or three hundred pounds on them and it's you know you then you, you got your blue marlin species and that just 
I mean, that'll get you fired up. That's probably one of my second favorite fish to catch out there is blue marlin. A nice, and not even a giant, just a good, like, 250, 300-pounder. Oh, man, they put a show on, and they fight hard. Oh, it's, that's addicting there, too. A lot of people, when they see that for the first time, that'll definitely get them fired up and, and give them that bug of, man, I need to do that again. That was awesome. Um, you know, it gets your adrenaline pumping. Anything that gets your adrenaline pumping, I feel, definitely make you want to come back and do it again. Um, so I would say either blue marlin, you know, marlin fishing of some aspect, or sword fishing. I really love those two, um, you know, now. And the boat that I fish on now, uh, the tournaments and stuff, we kind of do everything. We still tuna fish and whatnot and all, but it's, pretty strictly a tuna or a uh, marlin fishing boat uh you know that's what gets them guys fired up they love that stuff and and like i was saying earlier man if you go from going out there and I, I had i'll never forget another day you know i was nine years old my dad and i went out there and we saw nine white marlin one day and didn't catch a single one of them because we had absolutely no clue what we were doing and you know it's it's as simple as that. I mean, we could have got lucky and caught three or four of them and been, you know, it'd been great. And then, you know, now it's come to the point of we're dredge fishing and teasers and making sure your bait's absolutely perfect and swims perfect and, you know, lighter fluorocarbon leaders and circles. I mean, you can, you know, it, it goes, you could take this as far as you wanted to realistically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Um, which of those species, I mean, I know you're talking about catching these marlin and having to be so meticulous with your setups. Um, when I was down in, uh, I, this was years ago, we were down on vacation in Hilton Head and we got a charter out of there and the guy, we were, <laughs> I think my dad caught like a seven foot black tip shark and I caught a five foot or something and um we were, he was catching them on straight uh, fluorocarbon, and we were like, "Why, like, why aren't you using steel leaders to try to catch these things?" And he's like, "I catch more fish this way." And he's like, "Statistically, I'm playing a game. He, they might shear more off this way, but I will hook more fish this way." And so it, it you know, it's like all it's all dependent on how you want to set up. But yeah, there's so many different ways to set things up, and. Is is a marlin the hardest species to catch out there, or is it swordfish or sailfish, or what is it? I, I would say, honestly, realistically, I think a swordfish is the hardest fish to catch out there. Um, just one, because it's new, nobody knows much about them. Um, you know, once you figure out a couple little things, it, you definitely become more successful, I would say. Um, but, this, you know, I've gone... And, and I've gone days where, you know, you get 11, you know, you come tight on 11 fish and catch one. And it's like, uh, what am I doing wrong? And then I've gone days two, where you, you know, you hook five of them and catch all five of them, you know. It's a, it's a lot to it. And, you know, so the main thing with them is, is pulling the hook. Is you'll be fighting them and pull, pull the hook on them. Um, you know, I've, I've fished them from the Keys clear up the ocean city and stuff and and i've i've had fish come up to the boat get all the way right up to the boat and you hit them with a dart or you gaff them and they open their mouth and the bait just falls out it's like dude you weren't even hooked you know what i'm saying stuff like that it's, it's just strange and you definitely pull off a lot more fish than you catch um I would say the second is definitely marlin. They are tricky. Whew, let me tell you. But once you get it figured out and dialed in, you got it dialed in, you know. Um, everybody misses some here and there every once in a while just because, like I said, there's variables. You might come up and build squat it and wrap your leader around, you know, and then you're like wrap your leader around his bill, which we call bill wrap. And you think you got him, and he goes out there and jumps three or four times, and it comes unwrapped finally, and you don't catch him. Um, and then you, you're frustrated. You're like, ah, what happened there? What happened there, you know? Um, or just the factors of coming tight too fast with a circle hook and it pulling it right out of his mouth. Um, you know, they're definitely tricky fish. I would say that the billfish are, 
a lot more tricky to catch than than a tuna fish or a mahi, you know, stuff like that. Um, tunas are they're pretty simple, man. I mean, as long as you you don't really got to do much to it, you just let them eat that bait and and come tight and just keep them out of the running gear and whatnot. A lot of people overthink everything with that, you know. A lot of there's a lot of overthinking done offshore of what can I do better, how can I change this and this and that. And, and you know, I see it with my dad sometimes and not to not to rag on him or anything, but sometimes, you know, we'll be out there and he's like, What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Why did I miss that Marlin? I'm like, dude, it's it, you did nothing wrong. Everything you did was absolutely perfect on your side. Fish just got bill wrapped, you know? And sometimes he'll get frustrated with it and I've just seen it so much that I'm like, dude, don't don't worry about it. It happens. There's gonna be another one. You know what I'm saying? Um so a lot of people get frustrated with it from time to time and it's like, you know, I you just can't let it get to you and I know that you're itching and trying to catch that fish, but you just can't let it get to you because then you start overthinking and, and it just blows everything out of proportion then, you know. So I've I've come, you know, with some of the boat owners or captains, they're like, Oh, these 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 wheels, which is the boat propeller, we call them wheels on the bigger boats, they'll, they'll be like, Man, these wheels are putting off a weird vibration. We have line in the wheel or something and that's why the fish ain't eating. You're like, dude, hey, maybe they're just not hungry right now, you know? So but um there's definitely definitely gets around to being tricky and once it gets to your mind man you might as well just go inside and, and sit down and take a breather for a minute um so but those marlin and swordfish are definitely really tricky to to figure out um so the land like i said the swordfish more so just because nobody nobody has everything figured out i mean realistically you can go down there go out and drop a bait somewhere and maybe you'll get bit and come tight on it but if you don't know how to fight them and and you know some little tricks and stuff like that you're, you're not gonna catch that fish you know or maybe you get lucky and he lasses himself or something and you do catch it well you know that's a good confidence booster but the next time it's not gonna be the same you know yeah yeah um so you've caught a lot of tuna and most people who don't offshore fish a lot uh they go tuna fishing. That's their, the, the, the idea is to go tuna fishing, have, have a good time drinking some beers, catch some fish, come back, load up a freezer. And everybody talks about tuna being like their favorite fish. What's your favorite fish to eat? If you're going to, it doesn't matter inshore, offshore, whatever. What's your favorite saltwater fish out there to eat? My favorite, absolute favorite fish is a flounder. I, I, I will take flounder fresh, fried flounder over any other fish you put in front of me any day of the week i mean it's it's just i i i don't know what it is and then you know with that being said tall or black fish is really close right there not behind it um but we try not to kill many of those just because they're very slow growing species um kind of like tilefish everyone goes out here and killing all these tilefish well you know, you catch a 20-inch tile fish, that, that fish is old, like 20 years old. I, I forget exact statistics on how they grow, but a lot of those fish are old, man, and they don't grow quick. So, you know, yes, you know, it's good that people go tuna fishing, but, man, when they come in and hit, hammer them tile fish, they ain't going to be there forever, you know? So I see it just summer to summer. At the end of the summer, it's, it's tough to find a tile fish sometimes. Um, but tilefish is good. Tog is really good. Flounder is my absolute favorite. I mean, I just that that is definitely a good, nice, clean, white flaky fish. Um, so, but tuna's good. But you know, tuna mahi. I just with the charter fishing and whatnot. I had so much of it. People would give me here and there, and, and I'm just come to the point of like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to eat that. Yeah. And and realistically, we fish so much that I, I I won't freeze fish at all. I will not freeze fish because when I I've tried every single way, you know, I pull it out, it tastes fishy to me, you know. And and a lot of people 
when they do kill all these fish and freeze it, I would say 50, if not more percent, go, you know, goes bad and, and people don't even realize it. So I, I, I take what, you know, I try and respect it. Take what I can, what I need. You know, what, if I have a party or something, hey, maybe I'll, you know, kill one extra or something. But, you know, we, we never really go and, and just fill the box. It's all, you know, a lot of people go out there and they're like, you know, we want to go fill the box. Uh, it's all for a picture and this and that. And, you know, it, it, I think a lot of people need to open their eyes and go, hey, man, we're coming out here to enjoy our time and enjoy what god put on this planet for us and everything else let's let's try and respect it a little bit you know um and and not not many people see it that way of hey this is we're coming out here for fun for a good time and and that's it's i don't know i think it's sad that that people can't respect it and don't look at it that aspect and and just want to go out there and fill the freezer i mean yeah it's good fish don't let me you know don't get me wrong all the fish is good but just with a lot of it going bad, I feel, and, and everything else, it's, you know, and tuna does not freeze well at all. I mean, a red, a red meat, oily fish like that doesn't freeze well at all. So, I, you know, I try to stick to the flaky, white flaky meat, you know. Obviously, yeah, your weekend warrior guys are going to go and they catch six, they're killing six because that's, you know, they might not go for another three or four weeks. And I totally understand that, you know, but um, I don't know. It's just something to try and get out there for everybody to, you know, take what you want and, and eat what you're going to and try not to waste too much of it. So, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with the conservation side of things. I would even say I've, I've said this to people about hunting and fishing and crabbing. I've always said I would rather take an entire year off of catching or harvesting a single thing and the government shut everything down for a year than in 10 years my kids not be able to catch them for 10 years. I, I don't think that it's – I think sometimes people get bloodthirsty, and it, it doesn't just matter. White-tailed deer, you could shoot a million of them. They'd still be here tomorrow. That's just how they are. But, you know, with turkeys – with duck numbers, uh, geese, uh, and then fish, crabs, um, you know, everything is in balance and I, you know, humans like to take advantage and nobody thinks about conservation. That's a big issue. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, I feel that, you know, that's definitely something that people need to look at and try and try and open their eyes to, um, just because, you know, like you said, it's not going to be here in 10 years. It's not going to, you know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to it, but you try and tell somebody that and they get mad at you. I think a lot of it, honestly, is like you said, they get bloodthirsty. Um, you know, hey, we need to go to as many tuna fish and this and that. But I think a lot of it also is social media. You know, um, I'm sure with, um, with duck hunting you understand everyone's like oh yeah we need a pile picture we need a pile picture this and yep, that yep um you know it goes the same way with fish and um everyone's like we need a pile picture we need you know we so i mean i've gone out there and and on our private boat just absolutely hammered tuna fish and i don't know it, it for me it's like uh, okay uh, that's a memory for me i don't need to blast it to everybody else you know what i'm saying um so it's or even more so i feel that people with with these pictures all these fish and everything it's more so bragging rights you know and i don't know i just not really about that it's not for me i don't need don't need to show off or anything for anybody you know everybody that knows you know how you know whether you're a good fisherman, this and that, and stuff like that. Okay, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes people post stuff like that and for bragging pictures or, hey, I need to be better than this guy, you know. But I think that that has a lot to do with people going out there and killing everything they can. So, but I don't know. That's a whole, like, you know, that's a whole other 
That so that could be a whole entire podcast itself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That that could go on for days. So um, all right, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. We've been about 50 minutes in, but I do have a couple topics I want to touch on. One is selfishly for me. Uh, when you brought up Flounder, I just wanted to ask you, um, when you are targeting Flounder, inshore, if you're going out to a wreck setup, whatever, by yourself, is there something you're looking for the day prior or is it, is it a weather thing? Are you looking for certain structure or are you just uh, kind of going and checking things out and seeing how it goes? Um, more so just going and checking things out. Um, so for me, it all depends. If depends on what boat I'm taking. Um, if I'm going on my little bay boat, my 18 foot scout, you know, I'm at the point there of, hey, I can only hit certain places. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so I'm like, I'm I'm like, all right, I, I need to go and make the best of what I can here and and hit the best wrecks that I can. Um, mostly all wrecks, really. And you know, and whatnot. But if I'm on our family boat, which is a it's a 33 Invincible. And, you know, I, I'm going out there to bounce direct, direct, direct because, you know, that boat cruises at 40 knots. So, and it, it'll handle a seat. So, you know, I'm like, if I'm not getting bites in 30 minutes in one rack, I'm moving to the next one to find these fish, you know? I got you. I got you. So when... When you're setting up like this out these wrecks, and the reason I'm asking these questions is one, informative for the podcast, and two, uh, my dad loves flounder fishing, and uh, he's got a 23 Carolina Ultra, and so he'll bounce around to some wrecks outside of Chincoteague and stuff, and he with the the size limits, he he notices fishing the bay, he's just not finding as many big fish, and he needs to go out. Um, when you're setting up to fish these these fish. How are you fishing for these flounder? Are you running bucktails, or I mean, what are you what are you using? I mean, this is another one of those things that you can you can go and dump you know a couple grand into flounder fishing, or you can do it simple. Me, I just run a top and bottom rig and a lead at the bottom. Uh, I got a buddy; he swears by strobe jigs. He's like, if you want to catch big flounder, you need a double throw rig. And, you know, I feel that I catch just as many fish as him, um, different stuff. My dad, he's all about trying new things. And I've fished the same rig since I started. Works for me. And, and, you know, there's some days my dad will try something different and he'll outfish me. And some days I'll outfish him. And, you know, it's just, there's, there's no really rhyme or reason to it. But, um, you know, I, I just stick with what works for me, you know. I just throw a top and bottom rig out there and find the fish. Once you find the hungry fish, then, then it, you know, it'll happen. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, are you, using, uh, are you using things like bucktails or are you using, say, cut squid or, or whatever? Um, I mean, honestly, I don't use anything but golf, flounder fishing as of right now. Okay. Um, I do have a new bait company, and um, I, you know, if you guys are Instagram or anything, check it out. It's called Rumblefish. Uh, it's a local guy here in Ocean City that's making baits. He's pouring baits, making jig heads and bucktails and stuff like that. And um, I, he's making me a couple things here for this summer coming up, just because the planner is starting to show up. And I have always been a very firm believer of golf. Just golf, you know what I'm saying? It's this, this older gentleman that taught me the whole offshore wreck thing and whatnot. That's all he ever used. And we would go out and have a five-gallon bucket of golf, just different, everything you could even think of. And uh, and he had, you know, and so that's what I always use. But this guy here, he's, he's making me some new baits and stuff that I'm going to try out. But, yeah, I mean, I just I, – and. and like I said, my mom, she'll throw a piece of squid on there and catch a 25-inch or win the pot for the day, you know, the, the bet for the day. And I'm like, what? I, you know, and you're like, 
I'm over here fishing light fluorocarbon, this and that. She's got 50 pound mono, you know. Sometimes <laughs> it's just, you know, you never know. It's silly luck sometimes. So, but yeah, I'm a, I'm definitely a, a golf kind of guy, artificial. Um, I don't use any live bait. I don't, I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely, I feel it's an unfair advantage. You know, you, you already choosing exactly what they eat. Um, I mean, if you want to go catch fish, absolutely tear it up, you know, go use live bait. But for me, just the artificial stuff is more of a thrill, you know, kind of, hey, I figured out how to match the hatch of what they want to eat stuff, so. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, we, we've always used, uh, we've always used either like chunk squid, cut squid, or we might get minis. But the problem with minis is you're always, uh, you're almost always finding that they're dead after 10 minutes or whatever, you know, and, and then the artificials are a, a great way to fish as well, because if you find some quality baits, they'll hold up for a little while too. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm gonna check this Rumblefish guy out uh, for sure. Uh, give him a shout and get some stuff from him. Um, so before you hop off, I I know some guys. Um, I don't know if you know the Split Bill boat. Um, he's he's new to Ocean City, uh, but he's been fishing down there forever with his dad, my buddy Andy Butler. Um, He's been fishing down there a long while. He just started up his charter. Uh, he's always posting on Facebook about the wind turbines and uh, the wind power system and the effects it's taking on the environment underwater out there. Um, what's your take on all, all of that? Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard from you about the wind turbines and all that stuff. Um, I do, man, that's, that's you know, when they started coming in there and surveying and everything, I feel they they ruined the scallop beds and, and definitely shut down a lot of fishing with the surveys and the sonars and I don't know. I, I feel that it's an absolute terrible thing. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that it's not going to help. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel that it's going to help with fishing. I don't feel that over time it's going to help with fishing. I just think it's going to be something out there for all of us to dodge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anytime man tries to put his hands on nature, it always ruins things. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you look in just a, a reference of, you know, a lot of these developments where they're going and building out and, and rural land all these developments and then everyone's coming in and complaining the deer are eating all their bushes. Well, yeah, you just went to their home and, and, you know, took it over. So, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think that it's going to end well. All right. Well, we are just at an hour. Um, this was a really good podcast, man. I'm glad you came on. Uh, this is super, super helpful for many people. Saltwater fishing is intimidating to a lot of people and because they don't understand it. And I think this will help open some eyes and uh, open some minds. People will really understand more about, you know, that lifestyle and, and what all it takes to do it and stuff like that. And this was really just an overview. Maybe in the future, we'll have to really neck down and do entire podcast about just wreck fishing or about just you know marlin fishing or whatever you know that would be really cool too so yeah yeah absolutely so and you know yeah like like you said it's tough to neck it all into one hour or one podcast you know this, this could go on for whew, you could talk forever about this stuff you know and get into fine details and this and that and so but um yeah, no, I mean, I, I hope it definitely helps out and sure, you know, people can reach out to me if they ever have any questions or whatnot. I'm definitely open to, you know, talking to people or if they have any questions or whatnot, stuff like that. So, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, stay on the line, but we'll get off of here. We'll see you guys later.